Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, the great city, and come and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up against me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish for the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God. They threw the cargo from the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. The captain came and said to him, What are you doing, sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought that we do not perish. The sailors said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? He replied, I am, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them so. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quieten down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quieten down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, O Lord, we pray, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Do not make us guilty of innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. I should really be asking, you know, how, who is this calamity for? And, uh, you know, how do we get out of this? We now know who has the insight. So if you would like to follow on in your pew Bibles, you're welcome to. It is in the Old Testament section on page 874. If you attempt to flick there without knowing, Jonah is one of the hardest books to find because it's a very small book in a set of small books. So you really have to know where it is, page 874. Now the book of Jonah is intriguing, it's four chapters long, but it's, uh, this has been stretched over three pages, but it really is just two pages long. Each of the chapters are very short. Feel free to read through them, it would take you less than a couple of minutes to read through the four chapters. But the book of Jonah, we sort of know it, right? We probably, do we sing about it as kids? Do we probably do plays about it as kids? Are there any songs that people remember? Can anyone sing any, any tunes? Can anyone remember? Was there a VeggieTales? There was bound to be a VeggieTales. Were you a, 
the, the youth here, were you a VeggieTales generation? No? No. But there, there are a whole load out there. And I think when we're growing up, Jonah is seen as, as good game, as Bible material. But then when we're adults, do we ever hear about it? And actually, that's why I wanted to do four weeks on it, because I actually think there is a lot of brilliant material out there, and I think it is hugely applicable to who we are. In a rather strange way, it's put into four chapters, because the four chapters are written in very different ways. So actually, each week we'll come across very different aspects of ourselves, of Jonah, and we'll be challenged in very different ways. But the book of Jonah has sort of been subsumed into popular culture. Maybe you know some books that have been inspired by it. Maybe Moby Dick. Um, Was anyone um, forced to read the poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner at School? Yes, that was inflicted on me as a a, a secondary school. It was a GCSE text. Um, It's very long. If you like long poems, you'll like Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. If you don't, it will be painful. Uh, anyone into operas? There was the Benjamin Britten opera, Peter Grimes, that was also um, influenced heavily as um, this idea as well. And all of these um, popular cultural references take elements of Jonah that we're probably familiar with and have morphed them um, to help with their plot. But actually, the book of Jonah itself, I still think we are probably relatively um, less familiar with. Jonah 1 is probably some of the bits that we're most familiar with. If asked, what's Jonah about? We'd have probably said three days and three nights in a fish. I just realised we didn't do any of the slido things in the preps. Now, don't worry... No time for that. We'll skip over that idea. Um, The book of Jonah, I think, is intriguing. It has many layers beyond what we might have assumed. Each chapter is quite distinct, and we are going to go into them. The way that Jonah is written is complicated and boring, and we're not going to get into it. But it's In the way it's written, and in the the original Hebrew, it is actually less about one individual. It is designed for us to read ourselves into. It's meant to feel familiar, despite, you might say, well, this is about someone who lived the 8th century BC, someone being swallowed by a giant fish several days underwater. Surely how can that feel resonant to me? But actually, as we unpack it over the next four weeks, hopefully we will see ourselves in Jonah's experience, warts and all. The person Jonah can be cross-referenced in the Bible as a historical prophet. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14 as living in the 8th century BC. And he's seen as a prophet. Prophets had messages And God had chosen a message for Jonah. He had chosen him to be used for his glory. 
It's interesting, as we go along, it sometimes seems that Jonah almost seems to just get in the way. Um, But God seems to use him anyway. So if we have the text open, let's um, look at the beginning of chapter 1. God speaking to Jonah, it says, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Okay, a little bit of a pause and backstory. We've got this command from God to Jonah. And Jonah's a good Hebrew prophet. He wants a job and he wants to speak the word of God. And he says, go to Nineveh and say, that great city. Well, Jonah probably thought, well, I, I, I've heard of Nineveh. I know it's a great city. It was the capital of the Ninevites. Um, who would later become the Assyrians. And he would have known that they were a well-off, warring people. They were seen as a bit like the bully in the playground. They were always bigger than the Hebrews. They were always um, fighting against the northern border. But they were a bit of an arch enemy, really, for the Hebrews. And they had always caused them this problem. So Jonah gets this message from God and thinks, you don't need to tell me that they are the bully in the playground. What are you talking about, God? They have never followed the God of the Hebrews. He says, I know that Nineveh might be a great city, probably lovely at this time of year, but no, they're not nice people. I'm not the one to tell them a bit of a home truth that they're not very nice. So he decides that instead of going to Nineveh, he is going to go to a place called Tarshish, I was intrigued to see that Tarshish actually appeared in our morning readings. If you were there at the 9.15 reading, you probably overlooked. There was a a reference to it in Psalm 72. Tarshish is meant to be a place difficult to place on a map. It's not somewhere that you can put a Google Maps pin on. But in Psalm 72 it says, May the kings of Tarshish and the isles... Render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. It's often mentioned as this sort of far-off place. Somewhere probably over there. A real place, but an unrealistic place that we're unlikely to know where it is. Now in English, we have a place for that. Can anyone think where that place in England we talk about that's far away. It's a real place, but no one's ever going to have gone to there. Timbuktu, exactly. Tarshish is the Hebrew version of Timbuktu. It's a real place, but we're never going to have gone there. So, Jonah elects Tarshish, our version of Timbuktu. Why don't I just go over there? Um, Realistically, Tarshish, if we were going to put it Somewhere it's going to be on the western edge of the Mediterranean. So probably Gibraltar or Spain, that sort of area. 
So if Nineveh is on the western edge, on the eastern edge, Tarshish is the opposite direction. The decision boils down to a few factors, I think, for Jonah. Who does God work through? That would seem to be the prophet. But who does God give messages to? Does he give it to believers? Does he give it to people who like him? Does he give it to maybe people who are doing bad things but they can get better? Often the, the people of God would be spoken to through the prophets when they were in error. But half the time they would get better and things would get better. Half the time they wouldn't and things would go badly for them. You get a sense from Jonah that he wants to be the arbiter of who God works through and who God speaks to. You get the sense that he doesn't believe that the Ninevites can change or that they're likely to be any different. Or if they do, they're going to give them a hard time, if at all. So maybe Jonah wants to save his own skin a little bit. But also, I think he's allowing his prejudice to get in the way. I don't think that Jonah believed that the Ninevites were worthy of God's goodness. And that does bug me. But it's there in the text, and God persists. It's a challenge to me and it's a challenge to all of us. Who does God want to speak through? Who does God want to speak to? Could we ever be caught out for thinking, God doesn't speak to them. God wouldn't love them. Or if he did, they wouldn't like it if he did anyway. I think that's the trap that Jonah has caught himself into at the beginning of our book here. The challenge for Jonah is that he's only called to one place. Jonah only seems to have one message that he's called to give to the Ninevites. And that is the one place that he doesn't want to go. That is his challenge. So Jonah boards a boat going in the opposite direction from his calling. The winds pick up, the waves pick up, and all seems to fall apart. The crews say, pray to whichever God you've come from. They get the sense that this is of the supernatural and ask, what have you done? What has happened? And after the drawing of lots, a common custom at the time, you even get it in the Gospel and Acts, they realise that it's down to Jonah who has caused this calamity. The funny thing is, earlier on in the, the journey, he even told them that he was running away from God and that's why he was on the boat. I think that's amazing, you know. You get on your cruise line, why have you come on this cruise? I'm running away from God. It seems unlikely, but they were like, are oh, two and two together... Jonah, how have you done this to all of us? You are going to be all of our ruin. He says, I'm running away from God. I didn't like the plan that he had for my life. 
It wasn't much to my liking, so I thought I'd check out what it was like over there. This is the classic, absolute classic, running away from God moment. Other religions at the time might have had local gods, city gods, trades gods. But Jonah's God, he said he made everything. He said he was in charge of everything. And when the people realised that, they were scared. It seems like Jonah didn't plan this too well. And the sailors on the boat, when they realised, got him to fess up to it. They realised they weren't getting out of this problem anytime soon. And they seem eminently reasonable. I love the sailors that were around Jonah. They don't actually want to throw him in and save their own skin. Interestingly enough, they seem like quite good people. They pray to to a God whom, before this point, they didn't even seem to know, but there is this sudden realisation of who he is. And they pray that God would have mercy on them. That God wouldn't think bad of them for throwing Jonah into the sea. Because after all, throwing Jonah into the sea is a death sentence, surely, for Jonah. And they don't want that on their conscience. The sailors around Jonah seem absolutely converted by this whole moment. Jonah doesn't seem to be too willing. He doesn't say, right, I'll, I'll sort it out myself. He doesn't seem to have jumped off, but it does say... They were forced to throw him in. And it says that the storm stopped. And at that point they offered sacrifices and made vows. An intriguing little moment. Presumably because they were A, thankful. But B, because they felt guilty at what was needed. They assumed that he would die. But it goes on to say that the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. Actually, I think that that fish was there as much for the sailors' benefits as for future chapters that will go on to. That saved them from the guilt of what was needed to happen. But there is no guilt for those fishermen around him. And we will get to the familiar point of Jonah sitting three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. But I'm actually going to leave that for Howard next week because it fits much more into next week. But what have we learned from the first chapter of Jonah? I hope it feels more familiar than just a childhood story, more applicable to us. God's call for us. Sometimes we don't get a choice in it. But if God speaks to us, that is the place that he wants us. And there is no better place for us. God speaks as well to who he wants to. God doesn't choose people that we like. And that challenges me and should challenge all of us. God works through and two surprising people. And they're also going in the opposite direction from the way God is calling us 
is pointless, sometimes futile, and occasionally ruinous for us. I don't know if there's ever been a point in life when we felt like we were just maybe going in the opposite direction from God and it just felt like hard work or things weren't working. Jonah is the, shows us that place in the Bible in its most extreme. And that's why I think it's such a good thing for us. You know, there is no better prayer for, to say, God, what is your direction for me? Where do you want me to go? You know, we don't have to pray, God, what cereal do you want me to, to eat this morning? We don't have to worry about that. But God, do you, want, do you want me to move to this area? Do you want me to be in this job? Maybe God will speak, maybe he won't. But if we don't ask, we won't hear. And then if we feel we do, we'll probably find things may well be much more challenging when we don't follow his lead. It's interesting that the book of Jonah is over two and a half thousand years old, but it's, and its content seems so different from our lives. But actually, I hope that it, over the next few weeks we'll see that it's got a timeless quality to it. We do get choices whether we want to go with God or against God. That's always our choice. No one's drawing lots on us to cast us into the sea, hopefully. But the truth is still the same. Do we choose Nineveh or do we choose Tarshish? Do we choose God's plan or do we choose our plan? Do we choose God's faith or our lack of faith? This is the challenge from our first chapter in Jonah and come back for chapters 2 three and four in the coming weeks. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for the example of Jonah. Help us to know your leading for our lives. Help us to know that we are going in your direction. Give us courage when we want to follow you, but maybe it's difficult, maybe we don't um, know what that will look like. Give us courage uh, and faith uh, for the journey. And if we feel like we are heading away from us, give us a way by which we can turn back to you. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.